Welcome home, everyone. Thank you for joining in on this episode of Welcome Home with the Katinas. Welcome Home is a podcast where I, your host Josh, sit down for a conversation with different people who I admire and discuss whatever's on their mind, and especially focus on life at home in times like this. Wherever you are and however you're listening, thank you for your support, and once again, welcome home. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining in this week uh, for this week's episode of Welcome Home with the Katinas. Uh, I hope everyone is having a good week and enjoying uh, their Thursday or Friday, or maybe you're listening to this on the weekend, whatever it may be. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I do want to say I want to give a quick shout out because I found out that my dad, Joe Katina, was recently... Uh, a guest on a podcast with an old family friend of ours. Uh, you you may have heard of him. His name's Randy Phillips. And this past weekend, my dad told me he got to record with him. Uh, his podcast is called Backstage with Randy Phillips, I believe. And so I'm not sure when that episode is going to come out. But uh, if you're looking for something new to listen to and you want to hear a familiar voice, my dad will be a guest on that show. Uh, in the near future, so I hope my dad plugged this podcast on that uh, on that show. But um, there's a free plug for a different podcast for you. But I'll get into this week's episode. I'm excited to have a returning guest here with me in the studio tonight, and I'd like to welcome my brother, Mr. Eli Katina. E, thanks for being here. What's up, family? It's good to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming back. Uh, when was when was the first time that you came? Um, probably when was your anniversary? Which one? The one year anniversary for the podcast. Uh, it's July something. I I don't know. This is week 42. So we're 10 weeks away. I was, I'm pretty sure I was week number two. Okay. So, so it's been 41 weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. Well, a lot has happened since then and I can't wait to dive into it with you. And, um, for those of you listening, you know that this podcast does have a bit of a format that we format that we follow for first time guests. Uh, I have three questions for them, but for second time guests or returning guests, I only have one question that really leads our conversation. E and so I've asked you this before, and I'm going to ask you it again. And it's very open ended, and this question is the heart of the podcast. So answer it however you feel. I want to talk about what you want to talk about tonight. So Mm. here's your question. What's going on at home? Thanks, Josh. Um, Man, what's going on at home? For me, over the past four months, uh, a lot has been going on because my wife and I closed on our first house. Uh, We purchased a home. We closed January 5th of this year. Um, So... What's been going on is is having to rebuild a home. Uh, we mm. we got a townhouse that was built in 1996 uh, here in Franklin, and when we bought it, it was 
pretty much original decor. There was a lot of uh, dated utilities and or not utilities, appliances, uh, carpets and and old tiles. And I'm fortunate enough to have a uh, father-in-law who's who's very handy. My dad taught me a lot of things that I value and cherish growing up, but he did not teach me the first thing about hammers or <laughs> drills or mounting things or <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, taking out carpet or replacing vinyl floors. And dad, I love you, but I've been on a learning curve for the past four months. So um, thankfully my father-in-law and my wife are very handy people and they have done an incredible job remodeling the house. Um, but it's funny because I think a home is one of those. I think there's a couple of things in life that uh, they they don't have an end to it. Like you could theoretically always update your home because mm. if you still live in your house, that means it's out of date compared to yesterday. Mm. And it feels like every four months, what's current or what's trendy or what's new, uh, it, it's, it always changes. Um, so that's been, been one where we're at now. We're four months in, we've, we've done a lot of renovations, but we are kind of starting to realize there is no finish line to renovating a home because you can go forever. Um, so we've been trying to Basically, find a stopping point for now, and and revisit um, some of the other things in the future. But, dude, it's been a blast. Um, I'm thankful that we had really awesome people uh, in our corner, from our loan officers and a realtor, um, and in, inspection people and contractors and everything. And my experience has been pretty bliss. So, nice. It's been fun. Awesome. I will I do want to say our parents did put in some work for your they house did. too cuz they I, did. I think I really only spent like one day like really committed to like helping yes. out and but I would come and drop in and maybe bring food for people or just see how everyone's doing and mom and dad were also there painting walls and stuff like that. So doing what they knew how to do, but yes, the Ellsworths, your in-laws are beasts and and yes. your wife is also a beast I, I had so much fun uh getting to talk with her maybe a month ago on this podcast yeah. did you did you listen to that episode? i did i did listen to it i you, was really proud you should have been proud of your wife she was an awesome guest and um i really i i find that amelia um and i share a lot of things in common and um i think maybe some of the like the same strengths and weaknesses. We have a lot of the same of those. So For I enjoy sure. getting to sit down and talk with her. Um, I want to ask you, Eli, you're 20, 22. Two. You turned 23 in like a, couple. a month from today. Okay. Yeah. This is my 11th month birthday. Well, and I want to ask you if you're comfortable sharing, how did you buy a house at 22 years old? Hmm. I am comfortable sharing. Yeah. Um, well, let, before you answer, I just want to preface this. I don't know where our listeners are listening from, but here in 
the Nashville area, Franklin area, and I feel like in a lot of places around the country right now, yeah, a hot topic is how hard it is to buy a house right now. Mm. And especially for young 20-somethings, yeah. newly married people, just kind of getting their feet on the ground. For sure. So I want to hear from someone who yeah. did it. How'd you do it? That's a great question. Um, so you're right. Buying a home is very, very difficult in this market in a lot of areas of the country. Uh, but there's two phases to it. So uh, applying for a mortgage and, and getting getting approved from a bank uh, to get a loan is relatively simple. Um, it just comes down to debt, your debt-to-income ratio, um, your credit, your monthly income, and uh, basically job security. So those are all things that um, are, are pretty simple. So just because you, this is where it gets hard, just because you approve for a mortgage doesn't mean that you go knock on the first house that you like and that's in your price range and it's like, oh, boom, I, I buy a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's contrary to like a car. Like car lots are full of cars that are ready to be driven off the lot or any store you go into, if you want to buy a t-shirt or buy a water bottle, you just, you're like, I have the money, I go pick it and I buy it. That's not how it works with the housing market. So it is difficult um, to find a home, uh, not that you can afford, but that you can compete with um, because obviously I took out a mortgage to purchase our house, um, but I'm competing against people who just have the cash to buy the house outright. So if you're a seller, um, more can go wrong with accepting a loan, a 30-year conventional loan or 15-year, um, because there's typically a 30-day closing process where things can pop up and it is, uh, it's just less convenient for a yeah. seller, uh, whereas cash is still king. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, getting a mortgage, I had a really awesome loan officer, and, and thankfully my wife and I, we haven't acquired any debt, um, so we didn't have to make that much money um, to approve for a mortgage, uh, but the difficult process is just getting someone to accept um, your offer when it's going up against cash offers, yeah. and we got super lucky with the the place we purchased. Um, it was uh, an an elderly woman um, who doesn't even live here. Uh, she lives, I believe, they don't give you a lot of uh, information about the seller. We don't have to say where she lives. Yeah, well, I actually don't know where she lives. Um, so don't worry, lady. Thank you, though. So this is this is crazy. I have no idea who this lady is. All I know is she was an elderly woman who owned the house for many, many years. There's 29 offers on the home uh 29 offers got accept, uh, got uh, offered, or I think that's submitted to the seller. Um, and there was actually two offers uh, that were the same amount uh, as what we offered, but they were cash offers. Um, but the other two offer, offers were from investors, and uh, the lady didn't want to sell it to an investor. She wanted to give it to a, a first-time home buyer. Um, so I actually like really lucked out uh, and was was super blessed by that. Um, and I don't even know who she is. Wow. She doesn't know me. So 
pretty awesome that That's to know there's still people out there who uh, just care for strangers. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say the number because I'm not totally sure what it is, but I've heard that like the percentage of homes within the last year or two that have been bought by like Wall Street investment, oh. it, it's like a, a large percentage of... Oh, oh, way over 50. Really? Yeah, 100%. Which is crazy to me. Like, yeah. And they have the capital to pretty much outbid anybody. Right. I, I'm curious, like, down the road, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, how that's going to play out with um, Wall Street versus Main Street in the, in the housing market. Because, I mean, I try and stay optimistic because I have a dream of being a homeowner. Yeah. Hopefully sooner than later. But... It's hard, like, I hear, I see on the news, not that I watch the news a lot, but I hear, like, you know, millennials and Gen Z are never going to be able to buy homes because yeah they're never going to be able to compete. And to be honest, sometimes it does feel like that, especially when I want to stay here in Franklin near my family. For sure. And I see the prices of houses. They're just not within my reach right now. And, and you know, but I know... If it's meant to be, God will open the right door, and maybe our the we'll buy from someone like you did, who wants to give to a first time home buyer. And yeah, it's definitely. I'm not a finance expert, um, but I. It's just it can't stay like this forever, which is contrary to a lot of people. Uh, Warren Buffett has this really good phrase. He says, "When people are afraid, be excited." And when people are excited, be afraid. Mm. And basically what that means is when it looks like it can only go up, that means it's coming down. And when it comes down, that's where the opportunity is. So obviously no one hopes for another 2008, but there's just economies aren't, they, they, it just, it won't be like this forever. I don't, it could be two years, could be two months. It could be 20 years, which would be historical, (laughs) but it, yeah yeah well uh i'll tr- i'll try and stay optimistic really. stay optimistic but it's funny like where you're at um just like anything like buying a house was something that i dedicated like eight months of uh, not my whole life but a large portion of it um and then you buy a home right or whatever your goal is that you set out it's like i want to save this amount of money i want to buy this car, I want to get married, and I want to have kids, and then you do it, and then it's just on to the next thing, yeah. like, that's just life, like, this is kind of funny, so, uh, three days ago, I was able to go, did you know there's a lake, like, 30 minutes yeah. from here, yeah. I've lived in Franklin 22 years, I didn't know there was a lake within 30 minutes of here, <laughs> so our friends invited, they have this sailboat, um, that they invited us to come on to and did, I had one of, it was just an, I just love the lake. I love being on a wa- on the water. And for the past 48 hours, I've been on Craigslist looking at boats. Mm. That's my next thing. I really want to buy a boat. On to the next, bro. That's always been you. And I'm sure you'll have a boat eventually. I don't know when it is, but I hope I get the invite. You will, you do. dude. Um, I feel like, this podcast, we're going to talk about money a lot because, yeah. Uh, so, speaking of a lot of money, yeah, 
Elon Musk just yep. purchased Twitter. Did he per- it did it go through? Yeah. Well, I think yesterday Twitter like officially accepted his offer. Okay. And now I think it's like 30 days of like basically yeah. paperwork and stuff, but it's the deal has been struck. Wow. I, and I the number Let's go, Elon. The number I saw was like 43 billion. Yeah. And I think half of that's being paid in cash up front. Yeah. Like over 20 billion in cash. Yep. 21 and a half. I, I want to ask you, like, if you had that much cash. Oh, yeah. What would you buy? If I had 21 or 43. What's the difference, bro? <laughs> what would either I buy? One, either one. I don't know. I think um, that's such a good question. I like, so disclose, I love talking about money. Like, money is something that I've always just loved like not just money but business um so like when i think about like wealth um like i love finding way like how can i be more efficient with money how can i make more money how can i grow things i love thinking about like scalability so like i don't think often of like oh i wish someone would just give me this money cuz this is what i would buy i don't know what i would buy um but if i had like if we're just like talking just funny bucket lists um i would buy the biggest boat on percy priest lake um just for fun uh actually i don't think i would buy a big one i think i'd just buy a nice one um i would probably buy a sports team um I, I think I would I would buy companies and businesses. I think like uh, maybe like a couple like just fun things that you know are just like dreams, like beach houses. Like I, it, who doesn't want a beach house or a house in the mountains? But like I think a large. Uh, well, the first thing I would do is I would tithe uh, uh, four point three million of it. Um, I mean billion. billion sorry, yeah, come on, bro. Sorry, $4.3 billion. Um, and then I would probably just buy businesses or companies or uh, organizations. Like anything, I just believe any company's biggest asset is people. I think people are the most fascinating thing on earth. I think relationships with people are the most fulfilling thing that you get out of living. So I would just buy companies and, and things that I care about and uh, try to find the best people in the world to run them and grow them. That's what I would do. What would you do, Josh? Well, I still have more questions. Okay. Why, why would you tithe? What oh, is tithing and why? Tithe, that's such a good question. Um, and it's, I, don't, I don't have the perfect answer for it, but the way like I think of tithe as um, like my, what we purchase shows... If you look at anyone's bank statements, their credit reports, like what we spend money on is what we show is most valuable to us. Like that, our, our money is uh, not most valuable to us, but like it it shows a person's priorities. It shows uh, their vision uh, for their life, for their family. And I think tithing for me is just a principle that I've used, uh, and, and my wife as well to just reiterate like what our priorities are and what's most valuable to us. 
Um, so that's why I tithe because uh, buying things is fun. Like thinking about buying a boat is fun. Thinking about b- buying houses or going on more date nights, like that's all fun. But my my priority and what I want to be shown through the way that I spend money, uh, I don't want it just to be things. Like there needs to be tithing is the way I show like what I care about and uh, what's valuable to me. Yeah. It also just tells us in the Bible to tie 10% of the first 10% of our income. Um, so that's a really, I'm a, I'm a black and white guy sometimes. So that's the short answer. But I think the deeper meaning is like, what's valuable to you? Like, what do you care about and how do you uh, live that out with the way that you spend your money? That's good, bro. I I remember when I was in college, I was part of a club that um, we had to raise money every semester so that the club could function and we could mm-hmm. put on uh, like the events we wanted to put on. And yeah, it, it just costs money to run a club. Um, it costs but, money to run anything. Yeah. But one of the things in our club's uh, bylaws that we had. It was a Christian club, so one of the things was that we were going to tithe um, from our... We would tithe every semester whatever we brought in in fundraising. Yeah. And I remember when I was in the club, every semester it came around that time to where we would decide who we were... We would always give our tithe to like a charity or just somewhere where we saw there was a need. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But I remember whenever that time came around each semester, there was always a debate in the club about uh, how much we were actually supposed to tithe. So mm. there was a group of people that were... Because in our bylaws, all it, the, all it said was we had to tithe every semester. Yeah, It didn't say how much to tithe or how to break it down. And so we, we, we had all settled on 10%, but then the debate was... Well, do we do that before or after yep. our expenses? Yeah. So that was always a heated debate. What did you do? Uh, I want to say usually, usually it was before we would we would it would just be ten percent of, say we raised five thousand dollars. I don't remember what our yeah, budget was, just but off the top. say we did five thousand dollars in a semester, we tithe five hundred, but. Every semester, that was a, a debate. Yeah. It didn't matter. And so yeah. I, I think we always did the first... We did 10% off of our uh, gross income. Yeah. But I would love to say, just real quick, like if there are any young listeners or, or people who you're not sure about tithe or it comes across as... Because do tithe... Like tithing, if we're just being honest, is like a very could be a a huge controversial, um, not controversial, but a misconceived perception from people who don't like the church, right? It's like, well, you're, you're just using a a book to force people to fund your building. Like that's, that's, that's a real perspective. Um, and I remember like wrestling with that sort of when I was a teenager and like, well, I don't know, like it's because it can come across as distasteful, Um, and I, but for me, all I know is all I know. Right. And one thing I know is I have made purchases. I've bought things. I've done things with money that 
nothing major, but I regret and I'm like, dang, I wish I did not do that. That was a waste of money. The one thing, the one constant in my life that I have never regretted, and I mean never regretted, is tithing and giving money to people in need. Like I just think that's something anyone who has a heartbeat, you like you'll never you never regret or wish like, oh, I wish I didn't tie it that much. I, I wish I didn't give give that much. I wish I didn't uh, pledge that much. From church to fundraisers to whatever, like the one thing I know I, is always good purchase is giving money to just people with vision and, and people in need and, and people that want to do awesome things with money. You just never regret it. Um, so that's sort of whether it's pre cost or post cost or whatever, like it's all good. But I do know you'll never regret giving money away. That's good, bro. I'm laughing because I'm thinking, cause I agree with what you say, but I know you're thinking about there's it. one thing. I don't know if you know what I'm okay. thinking about. There's one time where I was, and this is, this is a small story but i was at a, a like a christmas farmer's market mm. in here in franklin and there was a booth set up and it was a bunch of young boys they were fundraising i think it was they were like boy scouts or something like oh, yeah. that i don't think it was the boy scouts but it was like that kind of okay. thing and this one kid he had his pit they were selling flashlights interesting like, like uh camping they're like high qu- high quality yeah. flashlights. And this one kid, he's probably nine or ten years old. He has like a whole spiel that, that he gives me. Okay. And I'm very impressed. Like I appreciate that when like young kids, I can tell like For sure. he knows what he's doing and he's taking the time to practice his speech. So while he's giving his thing, I'm not interested in the flashlight. I just yeah. want to support this kid and um I didn't really even know what the money was going to. I just knew it was for a kid. And I also knew I had done stuff like that when I was a kid. Yeah. So after a couple minutes of him telling me all about his flashlight, yeah. I'm like, all right, man, I'll buy one. I'd love to support you guys. How much is it? He said, it's $125. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, what a flashlight. <laughs> I know. And I was I was taken aback. Did I was you like, do it? Well, what I did was... Uh, you know what, man? I don't think I really need the flashlight. Can, but I said, do you guys just take donations? And he said, yes. And so I donated, I think I donated like 25 bucks to his. Yeah. That's but, uh, a pricey flashlight. Yeah. So like sales, like lead with the price. Yeah. No, unless you're selling a $125 flashlight. No, you lead with it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but the $25 I gave, I felt good about that. Oh, so. for sure. Cause you're still supporting vision. And it's not about the flashlight, right? Like that's no. a. I didn't know that. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have bought the flashlight. No. Well, I, he he had me sold until he told me the price. But, yeah. Um, I want to talk about because this has been heavy on my heart lately since I watched um, a documentary about Hillsong. Have mm. you Have you seen that? No, I've heard about it though. Is it like? Give me the rundown. Quick, um, it's it's like controversial, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say, well, I don't know if controversial is the word I would use. Basically, whenever uh, you're that big, it's controversial. Well, 
well the the documentary is about Hillsong Church, which everyone knows yeah. who they are. It's one of the biggest churches in the world. Yep. Um, and it's told from the perspective of um, a group of people trying to expose corruption in the church. Mm. And the two like main uh, the the two people that the documentary focuses on is Carl Lentz and Brian Houston. Okay. Carl Lentz was the Founder, pastor, right? No, he was the pastor of Hillsong, New York City. Okay, Bieber's church. Yes. Okay. He he gained a lot of fame because he was known as Justin Bieber's pastor. Shout out Justin Bieber. And then Brian Houston was the founder from Australia. Okay. And I won't get too into the nitty gritty about it, but like a big part of it was a big part of the documentary was just talking about how much money Hillsong mm. was bringing in. Yeah. And you know, I for for me, someone who grew up in the church and who believes in the church, but knows that there's corruption in the church just like for there sure. is anywhere. Um, I I saw it as it's it it concerned me because it was it made me ask the question: Well, where's the line between being a church and being a business? Ooh, and is should there be like should a church be different than a business? And I'm just asking this question out loud. Should a church be any different than a business? And if so, where's the line between that? And yeah. Um so it, it I love this question because it's there's so many sides to it. Um and I'm speaking from a bad I've never I work for a nonprofit, so mm-hmm. I have that lens. I've never worked uh, for a church. In theory, churches are supposed to be nonprofit organizations. So that's the thing. So I'm going to say something that's going to be controversial. Is that do I have yeah, permission? Go for it. So the big uh, dividing, the, like the big, the the controversy uh, t- comes down to tax exemptions, right? Right. Now I don't know everything, but there are. Many case studies and and many, like, part of running a business, a huge part of running a business is how do I minimize how much taxes I pay. That's for-profit. That's non-profit. If you're in business, a huge part of what you do is figure out how do I limit the amount of tax that I pay. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's unethical. I think... That's just, if you want to stay in business, you have to figure out how to utilize capital in the best way that serves your vision. And uh, for most companies, that's not writing a big check to the federal government. Um, So I I think it's, I'm for, uh, your question is, should there be a difference? Should churches just be businesses? Should, Should there be a difference between how a business is run and how a church is run? I think if as far as scale, right, as far as like the biggest churches, mm-hmm. they're ran like businesses. Yeah. That's that's not like a mystery. So I don't think that I think it comes down to like what's the vision of your church? How are you portraying that to uh your congregation? And how transparent are you being with the things that you're raising money for mm-hmm. and the people that are giving to it? Because if someone, if like, if, if for Love Squared, right? If I'm like, 
if I cast a vision for, hey, we're doing this, and someone wants to give me a million dollars to do that, shouldn't they be able to do that? Yeah. I, so I, that's like, it's it's the people that, that fund it, and like people run churches, and I think as long as churches and nonprofits um, are like, uh, being ethical with the way they're casting vision and fulfilling it, then uh, so a nonprofit doesn't mean you don't make money. That's that's like the biggest thing. People say, oh, nonprofit means no profit. No, that's not what that means. Nonprofit means that the incentive and the, the existence and the goal of the uh, nonprofit is not just to make a profit. Right. It's to fulfill a need. So if you have a need that costs $50 million and you raise $50 million to fulfill that need, that's a nonprofit because your vision isn't like capitalist business or not capitalist business, for-profit business, like their whole goal and mission is how do we profit off of goods and services or products. So yeah, you're, is you're, that my answer? Is that Does that make sense? How can yeah, I clarify it? I mean, I guess for me... I think about how Jesus said it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, needle than for a rich man to enter the, the gates, gates of, of heaven. heaven. And how he told the rich young ruler, if you want to, if you want to join me in in heaven, just sell everything you have and okay. And so we're me. going into another well, no, I'm just, great conversation though. But well, all I'm saying is I think that there's parts of the of the gospel where i feel like i'm not saying i don't want to come across like i'm saying having money is a bad thing because yeah. i don't think it is but what i will say is that the more money that a church has or anybody yeah. i think the easier it is to become corrupt that's that's my own personal belief i agree that you're more vulnerable yes and so I just get concerned whenever I hear about a church with these almost billion dollar budgets, like bringing in a lot of money. Yeah. Because I know human human nature. Yeah. That I know that well, the more money that is involved, the bigger the microscope is going to be whenever somebody messes up. Right. No, and that's fair. I definitely. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I think you would enjoy the documentary. Yeah, I need you to watch, watch it. it. I have a whole new, like, just perspective. And, like, I think, too, whenever you talk about church, like, it's it's controversial not because it's about money. It's because there's been so many people that have been hurt by the church. Yeah. So you just lump in the the idea of the church with not just corruption and money, but just all of the – anything ran by humans is vulnerable to corruption. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's is part of it money, yes, but I think a huge part of it from an outsider's perspective um, is just all the other things that you associate with the church when you think about mega churches, right? And huge churches. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm thankful that, you know, I, I don't, I don't run a church because that would be stressful. Yeah. A lot of no, compassion totally. out there for people who start church. I think starting churches and running churches is um, you got to be called to it, and it's not for me. Um, but I, I definitely see it through the perspective of of how nonprofits work and 
some of the misconceptions, n- not defending. I haven't watched the documentary, so yeah. I don't know all the details. No, but. you're fine. I will say, so I think I agree and disagree with you. The one thing I do agree with you is I think it's important that we that if a church really is a church and if it's a nonprofit but what does that mean if a church well, really is a church okay here's what i mean by that like you said for profit businesses yeah their only goal is yeah. to make as much money as possible and to make as much profit as possible yes i don't think a church should be run like that i don't think so either i don't think the so th- that's what i'm saying i don't think churches I think there is a difference between churches and businesses. Yes. For-profit businesses. I think that a church should be run like a nonprofit. A nonprofit business, their goal is a specific mission, to fulfill a mission. Yeah. It doesn't have to do with raising with making as much profit as possible. Right. Hopefully the mission of of the church is to sp- to share the gospel with people yeah. and to love love people um Love people as we love ourselves. Treat people as we treat ourselves. Yeah. All of that stuff. But you got anything else to say about that? Yeah. I just think it's just easy. And again, I have no dog in the fight with Hillsong. Like, I don't... I love Ocean. I'm not calling out Hillsong. I'm just talking about churches in general. Yeah. I think it's just so... It's just so hard and it's messy whenever, you know... But here's what I know. Like, big vision costs a lot of money sure when you do big vision now in order to fulfill your calling doesn't mean you have to build the biggest orphanage totally so i think that's the thing is it's like i'm not saying one thing that i want to clarify is like the the scale at which you do business has no correlation to the scale at which you do ministry Mm. so i think that's the big thing is like it's not a, there's no uh, race or like uh, to being more sanctified. I don't think, I think you can, I actually think you can have bigger budgets as nonprofits and do less ministry than uh, nonprofits who like lose money every yeah. year. So I, I, I definitely think like that's a big distinction that. I do think is wrong. Like, oh, the more money we raise, the more ministry we can do. That's not true. Yeah. That's right. not true. But um, things are expensive, you know? Yeah. So it's that's where I'm at. No. But I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I agree with you. I think... And I think... I hope have... people listened to that point. Yeah. Because that is like <laughs> the major heart of where I'm coming from. I feel like if you if you didn't hear what I just said... I'm sorry, but that that's really what I feel like I need to express when it comes to that situation. Uh, I, I, so hopefully I you're done, hopefully you're still tuned in. It's a tough. It's always tough when you're talking about the church because everyone has their own thoughts on it. Yeah, and it's yeah. I think you've, you've navigated it well, Chris. So maybe our last money question. Um, I, so I sent this in the text thread that you're a part of with some of the cousins and uncles. Yeah. Elon. What's it called? That's a secret. <laughs> That's a secret. But anyways, so the 40-whatever billion that Elon Musk um, is buying Twitter for. Yeah. Someone did the math. Well, I actually did the math. Um, if you made 
$10,000 a day, every day of the year. Yep. You'd only need to do that for a little over 12,000 years to be able to get 44 billion or however much. Yeah. That amount of money, like most people will never ever sniff that much money in their lives. Um, And I think it's a, it's become a more hot conversation, especially in American culture lately over, is it, is the fact that we have people that have that much money? Ooh, I love this question. Is that indica- is that an indication of a healthy economic system? Or is that an indication of a system that's broken? So I'm going to start off with the heart of what I want to say, and then I'm going to get into the details. I think the healthiest perspective, when you hear about someone who has a net worth of $100 billion, I think your response should be, wow, there is not a shortage of opportunity out there for me to build a life of wealth. Mm-hmm. That's what I think you should hear. Like, oh, there's a lot of money out there. I think that's the the biggest thing is people, and, and when I say people, I say myself, it's like, oh man, how this person's got this. It's like, man, no, there's opportunity. Like that's a sign for the corporations and businesses in America that have that much money, to me, what I see is, wow, there's a lot of opportunity in this country. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Um, I definitely think, like, unfortunately, I don't know, uh, I took a, a economics class in high school, so I'm not uh, a, a, a professor when it comes to economics, but um, unfortunately, like the way this country's set up, I don't think this is controversial, but the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And I think it comes down to education. Like if you don't know how to manage money, then you're not going to keep money. Like that's the difference. Like rich people know how to utilize money in an efficient way that grows their wealth and poor people don't. And that's not because poor people are dumb or people are bad and rich people are are superior it just comes down to education so i think that's i think that is the best uh if you wanted to try to correlate wealth in uh like try to isolate factors on like uh why are there super rich people and super poor people uh within such a close uh, geographical vicinity it's just it's education like and that's most um sociological so oh man sociologists mm-hmm. people who study uh like that's that's usually that's the agreeing term it just comes down to education so do i think there should be rich people like people worth billions um i don't know i think that like i don't think about should there be i think wow that's a sign of a lot of opportunity so yeah. what do you think um i don't believe in socialist governments for America. What, what do you mean, what do I think? Do I think... Yeah, do you think there should be people worth hundreds of billions of dollars? I think if you provide a good or a service for society that is profitable, then you deserve to reap the rewards of that. Of, of that. Yeah. And I think that there's some people... I think that's a an amazing part of living in America is that yeah. if you if you can make something that's that people are willing to pay for, then you're gonna make money. Yeah. 
Um, I do think that there are some things that I, I don't want to come across super critical. I, I'll just say it like this. Okay. I know I'm that about to hit you with the zinger too. One so of get like, ready for it. I think it was like the 25 richest people in America. Yeah. Like nine of them are the sons or like the children and grandchildren of the guy who started Walmart. Okay. Um, and a lot of their wealth, most, all of their wealth they inherited and most of it, they never had to pay, it never got taxed. And so I have a hard time justifying that, um, I don't think that those people necessarily provided a good or service to society. Yeah. Um, but they have all of that money. I think they should at least be paying their fair share of taxes. Because from my understanding... Okay, can I say well, my zinger now? Here's the thing. Okay, because you said something that I don't think a lot of people know. Okay, go. You said, I think they should be pay- paying their fair share of taxes. Okay. So here's my question. Do you know how much... The, the top 1% of earners in America, how much they make up in all the taxes that come up and come uh, in annually. Tell me. 50%. Yeah. So 50% of the money that our government runs comes from the top 1% of taxpayers. I think, I think that's a fair that. share. Okay. I have heard that. I'm going to push back a li- on okay. you a little bit. I recently was reading a study talking about, I don't know the exact numbers. It's like we have a progressive tax system in America. So the, in theory, the way it works is the more money you make, the more, the higher percentage you pay in taxes, right? Yeah. So if you're making, well, we all, if you pay taxes, you know what, how that works. So I think it's up to like $10 million or maybe even more than that. Let's say $50 million. If you're t- the if you're making fifty million dollars, t- um, that remains true. You're paying a higher percentage of your t- of your income to taxes. Yeah. But something really strange happens once you cross that barrier. I don't know exactly what the number is, but let's say it's fifty million. Once you start making more money than fifty million dollars, your percentage of the the percentage of of your income that goes to taxes like in America, 80. it actually starts going down. What what's what? eighty? I didn't know that. Not in the tax code, but in reality of what these people actually are paying. Yeah. It it the way it works out is that it goes down. And f- from my understanding, the way that people with people people like Elon Musk, I think his net worth is like over two hundred billion. People need to understand. He that doesn't mean he has two hundred billion dollars in no. the bank. Most and of can his I, can wealth. Can we talk about? Elon well, let me Musk. let me finish okay. what I'm saying. So most of his wealth is put away in um, equities, assets, things that don't get taxed. Okay. Right? It's not income. He's not making it from income. So I'm not saying it's just Elon Musk, but people with that amount of wealth, what they what they end up doing. It, to fund their lifestyle okay. is they take out loans back to buy those assets. Say they buy a $300 million painting owned by or painted by Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. They put up that as collateral. They get the loan. 
usually at very low interest rates because they have amazing credit. Yeah. And they live off of those loans and they never have to pay taxes on that actual money. Okay. Does that make sense? I don't yeah. think that's a I don't think that's a healthy a healthy system. Okay. You know what a healthy system is? Renewable energy. So if you hate Elon Musk, in 10 years when gas cars don't exist, I think it's all comes down okay. to the person. Elon like, Elon Musk is leading the the race in what is going to help our children live on earth. I totally agree. So when agree people with are you. like, "Oh, Elon Musk," it's like yeah, Elon Musk. I totally agree with you. That's why that's why I said at the beginning, I feel like if you have offered goods or services yeah, to society, I agree with that. you deserve to reap all of the rewards for that. So here's when a it quick comes stat, to, though. But what about like... No, but do you know, Dave Ramsey's, this is Dave Ramsey's quote, 90% of Americans who have a net worth of a million dollars or more never acquired or inherited any of that money. Yeah, I'm not talking about millionaires per se. I'm talking about the guy who started Walmart's grandson, who's one of the 25 richest yeah. people in America. I don't, I don't know. I think he should. Well, be... Well, what should he do? I'm not saying he needs to do anything. I'm <laughs> saying the system should be: if you're going to inherit that much money, you should have to pay some sort of a ta- of a tax on that. They do though. Not at the same rates that people like me and you do. That's just oh. what the numbers tell us. Okay. No, that's fair. Sorry to get all political to our listeners. No, I love it. I I, I spend it because I'm a capitalist at heart. Oh, yeah. And I see a lot of people criticizing capitalism. um, And I think some of it's justified. Here's what I will say. There's no such thing as a perfect economic system. No. Capitalism has its flaws. But I just happen to think that its flaws are the most bearable compared to any other system I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, Capitalism in churches, bro. No perfect institution. No, no perfect institution. But, um, all right, we're at 50 minutes. Let's talk about something else other than money. What do you want to talk about, Joshy? I talked about this with our guest last week. So I'm not going to talk about it. I have a different question. Good. Um, which which sports team would you buy? Oh, let's go. So uh, I would buy. I'm a uh, man. This is a hard question, but it's not. So I'm not. I'm a players fan. I'm a sports fan, and I'm a players fan. So I don't. I have no loyalty to uh, franchises. Or organizations, I only have loyalties to players. I think as a former uh, athlete, like that, I just I love athletes. And as far as like, there's just so much politics that go into teams. Um, so it's widely known. I want to put this on record: the Katinas are Lakers fans, and I, Eli Katina, am a proud non-Laker fan. <laughs> I am a I am a Heat fan. The Miami Heat, my favorite player in all of the NBA is P.J. Tucker. Um, so I would buy the Miami Heat. Nice. And I would uh, do absolutely nothing because I think the Heat's roster has incredible depth. Um, I love Jimmy Butler. I love Bam. Um, I love – I just love the Heat. I love P.J. Tucker. 
I'll make PJ Tucker the highest paid NBA player <laughs> in the league. Um, but yeah, dude, I think like sports teams, I think that's like, man, it, if a dream job would would just be being a sports like just an owner of of I think there's a lot of people who could be like, man, if if I could do anything, it'd be on a sports team. Yeah, who would you buy? Uh, if I could buy any sports team, it would probably be the Lakers. Really? Yeah. What would you do? How do you fix the unbearably traumatic, disappointing, heartbreaking of a season that the Lakers have just incurred? Um, well, I will say that we did win an NBA championship just two years ago. So who'd, they, who'd they play? Miami. The Heat, um, baby. But anyways, you know, bef- I will say this. Before we won that title, we went through a long, a long uh, drought of year after year. We were just bad. Mm. We flipped it around quick. So I, I definitely think the Lakers, only being two years removed from a championship, can turn it around quick. I think uh, first thing I would do is I would tell LeBron... LeBron, you're an amazing basketball player, and that's all you're going to do for us. You're not going to be our GM anymore. Mm. I would either I would hire a, a GM who I trusted, or I'd be the GM myself. Yeah. Um, I think I would... I don't know. I, I would start building around Anthony Davis. More. Why? He only plays 30 games a year. I still believe in him. He he's had two years where he had injuries. You can't predict injuries. All I know is that AD is when healthy, one of the best talents when in the healthy. NBA. I I can't make decisions based off of well he might get hurt because anybody might get hurt. But you know what happens to recurring hurt players? They stay recurring hurt players. I don't know. I mean. His talent is undeniable, so and he's what we have in the building right now. So that's what I would build around. I think LeBron is. I, I, I'll stop right there. But yeah. I, um, yeah, that's who I would buy. I would buy the Lakers. Yeah. I have one more question for you. It's about sports again. Okay. Um, and you talked about how you're interested in athletes. Yes. You care about athletes. You don't really care about franchises. Hundred percent. Have you been following what's been going on with Ben Simmons and the Nets? S- through the group text. Okay, so you're not you don't you haven't been following the day to day. I know that he's not playing, right? Or he didn't play. Yeah, he didn't play. Yeah. Um. If you don't know, then it's kind of hard to talk talk about it. But basically, it, it's not hard. Ben Simmons sucks. That's the synopsis. What of happened that to situation? caring about the? Pl- I guess I was. I don't care about players who don't play. Okay. Players means you play. Okay. And Ben Simmons <laughs> don't play, so I don't. I don't care at all about Ben Simmons. I think he's been getting a lot of heat on like, you know, the sports shows and whatever. And I feel like it's probably. I do think it's well deserved, but sometimes I have to remind myself that. Ben Simmons is not just a basketball player, he's a human being. And so I'm sure it, he's going through a lot right now. Having oh, to yeah. see his his name life getting... is just hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ben Simmons, dude. <laughs> Talking about rich people. Poor <laughs> Ben. Next question. Next question. Right. Ben gets no more airtime right. talking about how hard his life is. 
All right. I think we'll end it right there, bro. I think that's a good place to do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I need to um, go check on and see what the score at the Grizzlies game was. But, um, dude, I really appreciate you coming to talk. Thanks and, for having me, man. Um, and being willing to answer some tough questions. And I, uh, yeah, I'm proud of you. And uh, being a homeowner at your age, bro, it's a huge accomplishment. Um, I hope you are Thank enjoying you. that. And uh, I love you. Love you. Can I give a quick free plug? Sure. Uh, so I just left a, a book release uh, party. Our good friends, uh, Bob and Linda Lodick, uh, they're authors and they actually do a lot of uh, coaching on finances and wealth. And their book, Simple Money, Rich Life, uh, just released on Amazon. Uh, as well as their audiobook. So if you're interested, I know we talked a lot about money on this podcast. Uh, if you're interested on an awesome tool uh, with a Christian lens on how to manage uh, money wisely, uh, be sure to, to check out their book, Simple Money, Rich Life. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go check that out. Um, thanks again, Eli. Thank you. For those of you listening, For those of you listening, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with more episodes soon. Have a great day.